Hello, friends. As always, it's time to find your balls. My name is Jeff Stuckey, Therapy God, in the shotgun position. Greg Allen, as always, behind the wheel, the rocket scientist. Who else could we trust to drive this thing? Good morning, Greg. How are you this morning? I'm good, Jeff. Um, excited about today's episode. I think this will be a good chance. Again, for Greg, how would we know you're excited? <laughs> Like, you just have we to need like me. an excito meet, like something visual. Yeah, that's true. Just you can you invent just, that? That's something that I'll shows that. me that. Yeah, I know it'll peg out like right now. I'm pegged. It, it would be pegged out. <laughs> Damn, I'm glad we clarified this because <laughs> I had right. no idea that was the zone we were. Right, I am. Excited. So we're in red, people. Greg <laughs> is about to come off the rails. All right. <laughs> well, everybody else will too, because here's what we get to see: that uh, our shaman is not just consumed with what he can see in his immediate sphere, but rather larger issues. Like I think today we're going to talk about civilizations, their rise, fall, how that might affect us today. Well, it kind of seems like we're ignoring the uh, proverbial elephant in the room. We're saying, hey, build your best life ever while the world is coming to an end. Right, right. <laughs> like, so there's like a almost a disingenuousness there. Like, yeah. uh, hey, the Titanic is sinking, but let's rearrange the deck chairs. So yeah. it seems like we should probably talk about who broke the world and how the fuck it got broken. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right... Um, no, that's good. Whatever we can do to uncover that might give us some uh, glimmer of hope as to how to either prolong the decline <laughs> or or possibly have a turnaround which so far in the last couple thousand years we've not seen that happen <laughs> yeah it's interesting to have a conversation like this is it, it seems like you're immediately deemed pessimistic mm-hmm. right yeah and to me it seems like there's always been a third option that's the most important option you know there is the optimist there is the pessimist. There's just the fucking realist, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know my favorite quote of all times, reality yeah. is like a fine wine. It has a taste that does not appeal to children. And sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances where reality has a bit of a dry, bitter taste. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly we're in one of those periods of human existence maybe not hope not <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I think we're actually beyond that we're, we're in the point of we are sticking our head in the sand because we know it was bitter <laughs> and we're like i'm gonna put my head here till it goes away and it won't yeah and one of the things that has always stuck out to me i've been heavily influenced by the work of john gottman um he's a fascinating therapist he did his undergrad at mit he was a mathematician and his uh, roommate was in the field of psychology. And so he finished his degree in mathematics at MIT and then was like, well, that shit's boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could have told him that. (laughs) Yeah, so then he went on and got his PhD. I'm not exactly, uh, I don't recall exactly the concentration that he did, but he approached therapy much like a mathematician. I think you would be a huge fan of of Gottman. And his initial research, what he did was he created kind of this apartment and couples would come in and they they would record every interaction. And they had them hooked up to biofeedback. So they would they would start to connect 
physiological reactions, with emotional reactions, all of these kinds of things. It was absolutely incredible. And just the amount of data that he collected. This is an oversimplification, a grotesque oversimplification of his work, but one of the most interesting aspects of it was he reduced down to successful couples, what successful couples do, and what couples who are ultimately going to end in divorce do. And what he found was couples that were successful in their relationships, and, and the term that he used was they always turned towards the other. And, and he went on to explain that if I'm having a conversation with my partner and my partner says something that maybe just, just strikes me, you know, it, it makes me a little uncomfortable. The couples that were successful in that moment, in the moment of my discomfort, I would turn towards my spouse and I would say something like, can you help me understand that better? Tell me more about that. Wow, I, I didn't know you felt that way. And he contrasted that with the emotion of contempt. So the couples that were going to end in, ultimately end in divorce, and Gottman had the capacity to, like still does, I'm speaking of him as if he's, <laughs> he's still with us, um, it, something like he could spend 10 minutes with a couple and with 80, 90% accuracy, I'm making these statistics up, but not by much, predict if they were going to be successful or not. The couples that didn't turn towards each other, seek to understand each other better. Now, you mean, when you say turn towards, you mean a physical turning? Physical, toward? but more emotional. Okay. So, and, and it's a little bit easier to understand when we contrast it with the other couples. And the other couples responded to each other with contempt. So if we took that same scenario, right, I'm having a conversation with my spouse. Maybe we're at a dinner party, right? And my spouse says something that makes me feel uncomfortable. A contemptuous response would be invalidating that. What are you talking about? Like, why would you even say that? That contemptuous yeah. feeling that I have some level of superiority to deem what you say as either acceptable or just fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. So those were kind of the, the couples clearly fit into those categories, right? So the couples that were successful turned towards each other. Oh, you said something that made me feel uncomfortable, but rather than invalidating that or polarizing it, I'd like to understand that better. That's an interesting perspective. Tell me more about that perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then the couples that responded with contempt, I'm better than you, so I get to decide what you say is appropriate or inappropriate. Those couples, those relationships ended. Yeah. It looks like that concept scales <laughs> because that seems to be an appropriate characterization of what we have become as a society. That there was a time in, that we turned towards each other, but now we find ourselves in this ethos of contempt. Mm -hmm. You either, you agree with me and you're enlightened like I am, or 
you don't, and I am going to <laughs> annihilate you. Oh, wow. I'm not just going to go after your idea. I'm going to go after the person you are. I'm going to make characterizations about you that I get to take to whatever degree that I want to because I'm simply superior to you. And that seems to be epidemic in our culture today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that fits in the idea of the life cycle, if you will, of a civilization. Because at one point, we have to work together just to create a civilization or, or the marriage you know, right? in that situation. So you have to work together. So you have to overlook some differences uh, and differences even just of opinion. And you work together. But then when you get to a point where like, okay, we're set here and then have a, a turning inward or a turning to something other than the other person, then then you can have contempt. I, I think contempt would have been a luxury you couldn't have had <laughs> when you're trying to either build a relationship or build a nation. Sure. I mean, especially, you know, you think about that in times of scarcity, right? Yeah. So if your day-to-day survival is dependent on working cooperatively with the yeah. people around you, right? Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. I'm, I need some help here, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, oh, shit, you got some of that stuff, and I do whatever that is. So in scarcity, it can start to create that sense of cooperation. Yeah. As you move towards prosperity, you know, you think about the greatest empires that civilization has ever known. What's the one thing they all have in common? They've all collapsed. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. None of them have been able to crack the code on, hey, how do we keep this thing from collapsing? Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, are we at that point in time? Like, is yeah. is it our time to collapse? <laughs> well, the experts would say yes. <laughs> and uh, we may not have the, uh, the ability to, to uh, refute that, but we're going to try and, and uh, come up with possible ways around it, <laughs> possible ways through it. But yeah, we, we've gone way past the stage of maturity where, you know, we're, we're comfortable. We've moved into a, a stage of uh, not just affluence, but uh, decadence, you know, to where we're pursuing things that if you step back, it just doesn't make sense. Now, this is me, not the expert talking, but there seems to be a, a turning inward you know, like I have to have these things. And to me, that looks like indulgence. At that stage, you, you don't have a, a cooperation to work together. And then you can look at other, even other nations as, well, we don't even have to worry about you because we've got all our needs met and we're just worrying about how we can accumulate more or enjoy ourselves more or consume more. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like, and again, We'll put a warning label on this episode <laughs> because we're talking out of our ass here. But it seemed like there was a time where progress was celebrated. Mm-hmm. And progress, the, the, the progress that was made and the celebration of that progress led to more progress. It's like holy shit, man, we solved that social problem. What else can we do? We solved that social problem. What else can we do? And then all of a sudden it was like, no, we didn't. We fucking did not. (laughs) How could you be so blind to think that we have made any progress at all? Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I think I could cite some examples, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get my ass chewed <laughs> out and told what a piece of shit I am. So yeah. I'm just going to like, uh, like, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we had too much time, too much uh, investment in, in just, I don't know, they call it an a intellectual kind of pursuit where we're just looking at this from an academic perspective, you know, not in the sense of how are we actually making progress, you know, and, and maybe the, it w- went slightly the wrong direction. Well, then let's make a correction. Right. But we had all the time and resources to just point out all the flaws there, you know, kind of focusing on that. I, I was thinking this is a, one of my tangents. So uh, <laughs> Eric, be ready on the uh, edit button, but my son just turned 18. Right. And I just turned 50. So full on midlife crisis, motherfuckers, stay tuned for details because I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be epic. Uh, But so my son is 18 years old, you know, and I'm contemplating the meaninglessness of my existence. And now time seems seems finite Mm -hmm. to me like, oh, shit, I'm 50. I'm going to (laughs) die. And all that seems real now. Yeah, like yeah. when I was 49, it didn't seem so no, real, but no. I don't know if that's social conditioning or if something actually happens to the psyche that you're like, Oh shit, there's only so much <laughs> of this. Like I don't get any of this back. Right. But then I just, and I don't, I don't have any idea why I started thinking about this, but I was like, what if my son got drafted from my cold dead hand? <laughs> yeah. Like sending right. my son off to war. And I, I just started contemplating, like, how do we, as so-called sophisticated beings, obviously there have been precedents where it was unavoidable. I mean, I think stopping Hitler was probably the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying that there's not instances, but the willingness to which we will take our children and shove a gun in their hand, it's like you would think that that would be the ultimate deterrent. That when when I as a society, right, I'm thinking, okay, what are my alternatives? Putting a gun in my 18-year-old's hands and sending him off to his possible death or figuring out how the fuck <laughs> to get along with this other person, huh, which one should I do? Yeah. Huh. Hey, see you, son. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it works out yeah, for you. Yeah. And it, it it seems like, and again, I'm, I know I'm on a rabbit trail, but it seems like when we know, right, history shows that, hey, war happens, and for some reason we seem to kind of like it or something. I don't know. But doesn't that seem like that would be the ultimate fucking deterrent? Hey, let's get along. Let's, let's get along. When we think about the consequences of these things— I would imagine there was a point in time where people sent their children to war because there was a, a higher cause that they believed in, and it was out of necessity. It was like, we will not have a nation. We will not have what we call our freedoms if we don't do this. Right. And, and it even wasn't being forced to do it. It was like, yes, I want to be a part of that movement. It's hard to say I would like to surrender my child to this. At the same time, if, if that was the, the nation's mindset, was like we want to maintain who we are and what we stand for, then there's no restraint that you can put on it. 
but we're not there. Now, we haven't been in a long time. So the um, I need to be careful here. <laughs> but I know having this conversation <laughs> is like, delete, yeah. never mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is... Ooh, we're going to get canceled. <laughs> well, the thought was is, and maybe these need better words. <laughs> I don't but, think there's such a thing, bro. Just let it. Okay. <laughs> but it's almost like, okay, we're not really understanding this cause. You know, you can, we want to take my son and give him a gun, but I really don't know what we're trying to achieve here. What do I not have that I'm going to gain by putting my son in, in jeopardy here? And I'll say, like you were saying, we have the choice. We have another option at this point. You can't work things out when the other guy is twice your size. But if there's a bit more of a level playing field, or if you have a slight advantage, then it's like you have the ability. Let's work this out. And it, it seems to me that what is a core cause of that is what I'll call the denial of progress. It's common. It's more common than uncommon that a couple will come into a session and dude, we're talking 225 bucks for 50 minutes and they will fucking sit there and scream at each other as if I'm not even in the room. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well. And I'll always do the same thing. I sit back in my chair. I lean back as if I'm going to go to sleep <laughs> and they'll look at me and they'll say, are, are you going to do something? <laughs> and, and I will say, well, believe it or not, I thought the fact that you were paying me this much money to help you would be enough deterrent to keep you from wanting to scream at each other right in front of me. So, But apparently, <laughs> yeah. that ain't even enough of a deterrent. So you two finish that up. I mean, you could do it in the parking lot for free, <laughs> but you two finish that up. And when you want me to help, I'll help. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like they want to fight. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it doesn't even matter what I say or what I put in front of them. And I'll, I'll do the same thing every time. It's like, well, okay, let's just start here, okay? Let's start with what color is the sky? Mm -hmm. What the fuck do you mean what color is the sky? <laughs> well, you're wasting our time with that stupid – and it's just like no matter what because the contempt – is just palpable. And it's like when I try to take them back to a period of time, tell me how you met. Tell me when you fell in love. Tell me when you looked into your partner's eyes and you knew you're the one. I don't fucking know. How do you think that's going to help us right now? And it's like if we could go back to the beginning, because right now, you're processing everything about your relationship through this contempt that you have for each other. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that if you two were treating each other like this on your wedding day, <laughs> and the overseer of the service said, does anyone object? Everyone in that fucking room would have stood up and said, get the hell away from each other. Yeah. There was a time where you two did not feel this way for each other. There was a time where you two looked at each other with an immense level of respect. And that level of respect caused you to want to cooperate 
with each other and enhance each other's life to where it's better than doing it without you. But right now, your contempt won't allow you to look back with any appreciation for the positivity, the progress that was in your relationship. And if I can't get you to look back on this relationship and see some of those hallmark moments that were beautiful and wonderful and you were for each other, then I guarantee you you'll get a divorce. Because why the hell would you stay married with this much contempt? Yeah. And it seems like there's some social application to that where we could, if we could step aside and look back and celebrate some of the moments that as a culture, we did wonderful things and that would create momentum to where let's create more wonderful things. Yeah. But how, dude, <laughs> fucking <laughs> fix it, Greg, because yeah. I think we're headed towards divorce as a society. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And then right. we're going to like take it out on the kids and like, fuck you. You're a shitty fucking parent. You don't deserve any time with your kids. You're a fucking shitty parent. You don't deserve. <laughs> well, what about the best interest of the child? Fuck you. We can't be concerned about that right now. We fucking oh, hate oh, each other. Okay, okay let me, let's Sorry, get Sorry, that was a little bit cathartic there. <laughs> Well, if you felt good about that, it, that was good. a metaphor for those of you that were listening. <laughs> you have no direct knowledge of any such conversation. <laughs> I make a therapy appointment. You keep going. I got to get my, <laughs> I got some shit bubbling out, man. Okay. Get us back on the road, All Greg. Right. All right. I'm trying. Okay. So the, <laughs> your analogy is uh, appropriate <laughs> with the married couple. I'm like literally sweating. Like, <laughs> My pits are like... <laughs> okay, well, you're into this. That's good. Okay. That's good. We need the shaman engaged. But with every achievement, there's going to be some loss. Something had to change. So something was gained, and you just hope that what you gained was more than what you lost. But if, if everyone around you is telling you the negative aspects of the progress, then that doesn't give you any uh, motivation to keep going forward. Well, and that's what I find interesting about where we find ourselves culturally, even as we look back and maybe there are some things that we need to go back and revisit, like does amends need to be made? Is yes. there something that we can do? Yeah. But it seems like tearing ourselves apart in the present, it's like that couple that says, well, no, we're not going to stop hating each other because we feel contempt for each other and we don't care the impact that it has on this child. We don't care. Mm -hmm. We're going to elevate our own level of contempt and destroy this family and destroy this child's life. And the research is, is fairly clear on this, that divorce in and of itself does not have a negative impact on children. Divorce, especially in particularly chaotic family systems, can actually bring relief to a child. Oh, right, right. And that's a little bit counterintuitive. What does, with 100% certainty, affect children is 
how the parents respond to the divorce. If the parents grow the fuck up and they realize this child didn't ask to be born into this family, we didn't consult their opinion when we decided to start hating each other. And we're going to put our fucking selfishness aside and we are going to create the most positive environment possible for this child. You wouldn't think that a person, I've, I have to say that to people. I mean, do you know how many times I've said that? As many times have you've had to be in that situation. It's just, it's, <laughs> which is just shocking to yeah. me that when yeah. we get to this place of contempt, we feel so justified uh-huh. in our superiority oh, yeah. that we become blind to any destructive thing that we may be doing to the people around us, even our own children. Yeah. And as a therapist, I can't freaking wrap my mind around that. I went through a divorce. When I went through the divorce, part of it, like it's not because I'm just like such a good person. Part <laughs> of it is I had had a front row seat to this destruction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worked, I've worked with so many kids that they would come to therapy. And the reason that they would want to come to therapy to talk about the divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> to not talk about oh, the divorce. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because it, the dynamics of this contempt were everywhere. Yeah. They felt it all the time. Who's picking me up today? Who's the, all of this kind of thing? And they would just like, hey, Jeff, hey, buddy, what do you want to talk about today? I don't care. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this kid at school was kind of, you know, and yeah, it was anything like. Anything but. <laughs> so the ther- therapy became this buffer for them to where they could be free from the contempt. Yeah. And it's just how do we get an awareness that this contempt is our demise? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's not a rhetorical question. No, well, you said you were going to give us hope. I, and that's <laughs> give me some fucking hope, bro. All right. So let's let's uh mark this as the point in the program where we go towards, hey, here's some actionable steps <laughs> that we can take. Give me some to, action, buddy, okay, cuz I we, need them. Here we go. <laughs> I gotta change my shirt too. Jeez. So we're in the point in our civilization, which much like this marriage and the contempt, to where we are in the decadence. Decadence. Say that word for me. Decadence. Decadence. <laughs> we're in a bad place. I don't know if I said that right or not. I said, but here's what. Here's what. I, if you say it confidently enough, people uh, will think they've been saying it wrong. Yeah. I, you do Dude, that. We've t- yes. I, know, I don't know how to do that. I just fucking say it, man. <laughs> like, decadence, I don't know. I don't even know. And spelling. Yeah, man, oh, yeah. couldn't pass a third grade spelling test. But anyway, that's not so, solving our social problems. Right. So we're in, this, we're in this demise because we are so set on indulgence and uh, self-centeredness. So that's what it takes to make that change. We haven't seen a, another civilization do that. But I, we have the advantage of being able to see that they did not do that. They just wore themselves out on trying to consume more. And someone described it as you never get enough of what you never needed to begin with. So yeah, there's no end point to that. But if we could stop for a moment and, and focus on the other person, um, like for one thing, just stop hurting other people. Just make the choice that whenever I go out, I'm, 
going to cause no harm to someone else, whatever's in my power. And that's even simpler than providing food and shelter for myself. Because, But Greg, I, you don't understand. I mean, you don't understand. That's being <laughs> complicit. I mean, if you don't stand up oh, for... Uh, no, com- complacency is... is no, the complicit. Op- com- like, complicit's the buzz buzzword now. It's like if you're not offended by something... Oh, right, 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 right. If we were to say every interaction, just like in marriage, every interaction matters. Every interaction that you have with your spouse matters. You either turn towards them or you turn away from them. If you turn towards them, you build a healthy relationship. You turn Mm -hmm. away from them, you're destroying your relationship. That's just the way it is. That scales. It scales. Every interaction. Social fabric is constructed by every human interaction. Mm -hmm. We have the power to make a difference. If we as individuals take that responsibility and take the action step that you're talking about right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and, and it's on each individual. Nothing can be done from a, a, a massive corporate level. You know, It's more like the individual person. But now that I say that, there was trouble just getting people to wear a mask, to say, hey, this would help out your neighbor if you wore the mask. And it's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So I don't know how this is going to work. It's, it's like anything where you say, well, this is a simple solution but very difficult to implement. Right. And, and that, I, I, I always tell couples this, simple is not easy. Right. Simple and easy are not synonyms. Right. I mean, something can be profoundly simple and profoundly difficult. How can I prevent harming another person? So I'm not actually doing anything for anybody. I'm just not making it worse for the next guy. Is, is that even a possibility? Theoretically it is, but I don't know how, I mean, there's just times again, and, and I'm comparing it this because I feel the same level of helplessness as I do with that couple that just simply doesn't give a shit about how their behaviors are impacting their child. They feel so justified in their behavior that you can't get them to see oh, right. the damage that their behavior is doing. Yeah. They see it as, I, because of their contempt, I'm now better than my spouse mm-hmm. or ex-spouse. And I have to protect this child from this ultimate enemy that is my spouse. This person that I chose out of my own free will to fall in love with, to in front of other people say, I choose you, this public proclamation, none of that matters now. None of that fucking matters now because I have contempt for you and I know that I'm superior to you and I, I'm blinded by that. That's yeah. the thing, Greg, that I have seen over and over and over again is how this emotional response of contempt, it just blinds you to the damage that the obvious damage that you're inflicting on other people. And I could say this to, I I've got five couples right now that I could say this to, and they would agree with that. And then they would say one simple word, but (laughs) yeah, And then they would go on to justify how their situation is different, how I don't understand, 
and that what they're doing is protecting the child. Mm-hmm. And I will plead with them. You're destroying your child's life. How unnatural is that where a hired gun is pleading with a parent, please stop inflicting this harm on your child. And they resist that. And it feels like that's where we are socially. Yeah, absolutely. It feels, and it feels like if you enter in the conversation where you want to say, let's make a difference, you're just asking to be annihilated. Yeah, yeah. You're just, you know, somebody is going to respond in outrage. Yeah. Does it feel like that to you? Like if you tried oh, to yeah. have a constructive conversation, like how can we solve this problem? Let's talk about solutions. Or God forbid you offered a solution, mm-hmm. you're just going to get annihilated. Yeah. And where I used to land on that is is laying it out in front of somebody and saying, here's your choices. And you make this choice, whatever you're leaning towards, and here's the destruction it's going to end in. And then I felt good about leaving it at that. Like, this is still on you, you know, and, and you can decide for the evil or not. But I do have a, a, a proposition I'd like to throw at you here. <laughs> so, uh, Consumer note, this is 100% Greg's. I have no idea what this proposition <laughs> is and I'm in no way affiliated or committed to it at this point. Proceed, Greg. Okay. Well, it's, it's kind of twofold. <laughs> but one is if we, if we can't pull away from the notion that we are superior, which that's been the demise of the civilizations that we see, if we can't pull away from that, can we at least an, adjust our behavior to not uh, demonstrate that? So I'm thinking like at a, at a four-way stop sign, I can pull up and, and I could look at the other three people and say, oh, we got here at the same time, but you know, I'm smarter than you, or I'm richer than you, or I'm certainly better looking than you, even though I can't see you from here, but the odds would say I am. <laughs> so, so I don't know where I was going with that. But if I could... We'll revisit that on a yeah, later episode. Yeah, we got, we got fodder for more episodes that now just great. to solve my problems. Anyway, back to the stop sign. Yeah, so, but if I say, I'm going to defer to you, please, you go ahead. So the behavior shows that I, I'm not exercising my superiority, but it's still in my head. Now, that's not a good place, but it's a better place. So that eventually, once we do that enough... Maybe it works in our heart to where we can start seeing, you know what, by my measuring stick, I have some superiority, but it's random. This is a, a capricious, I, let me take that word out, Eric. No, capricious, that's a good word. Yeah, I, I always put the, I, I pronounce it wrong, and I did Just it too take slow. your time. I saw you I, start to panic. I know, I know. Slow, <laughs> easy, you can do it. Capricious. Capricious. It's a great yeah. word. You got to use it. Yeah, right there. Is it fit right there? Yeah. Okay. I forgot. I don't know what we were talking about. (laughs) The capriciousness of my personal standards. Yes, exactly. Which if you haven't listened to the episode on the illusion of self, you've had absolutely no control on becoming the person that you are. Abandon this podcast and go (laughs) back to the illusion of self and then come back at this time marker. Back to the stop sign. Okay, thanks. So we're at the stop sign and I say... I'm still holding on to this notion in the back of my mind that I'm better than someone else. But please, you go first. I mean, it, what a wonderful problem it would be that our traffic problems would be caused by people deferring to other people. But how hard is that? That's, it doesn't seem like that's a hard thing to switch. And we don't have to give up initially the idea that we're better than someone else. We just have to 
hold that at bay and maybe consider the option that there's something better about that person. You know this. I think we've talked about this on the podcast, but my archetype for the ultimate authentic masculine model Mm -hmm. uh, is Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. I've always... I mean, I watched Mr. Rogers as a kid, but I I mean, when I get like into my dark place (laughs) where I'm like, we're fucked, man, Rome is burning down. Let's, you know, it's like I go back and I watch episodes of Mr. Rogers and he just was so relentlessly Fred Rogers. Mm -hmm. It was not a character that he played. Who he was in every episode was the man that he was. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was always kind. He was always respectful. He always stood up for the underdog. Mm -hmm. Not in some kind of alpha male, like kicking somebody's ass sort of way, just in such an overwhelming sort of way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, you think about Fred Rogers, you think about Gandhi, you think about Jesus, you think about, you know, these these historical figures that did just unbelievable good. Mm -hmm. They were kind and their kindness was intoxicating. Mm -hmm. They did amazing things in their kindness. And I feel like we're at the point, Greg, where we have to recognize as a society that the marriage is in profound distress and Every interaction that we have socially is just as critical as every interaction that that couple has. Oh, right. And in every one of those interactions, we have a choice to make, turn towards or respond in contempt. And if we don't change the norm from contempt to turning towards each other, I don't know that we have a lot of hope. Right, right. Wow, that, that's that's great. I, we finally got the words from the shaman. It took a lot, lot to get to this point. Yes, <laughs> a lot of rabbit trails and a lot of ranting, venting, and and you you did make an appointment with your therapist. I see. So I, I did make the appointment, and <laughs> you only have to be in my head for an hour. Uh-huh. I have to be in there <laughs> all day every day okay wow so yeah. before you start judging me no, no. about my rabbit trails just remember <laughs> you get to get out of it right yeah not me yeah. i have to leave here with me and it'll just keep going okay all right well i sympathize <laughs> i do set a challenge with most if not all of my clients and i encourage them to set aside one day and i encourage them to do every good thing they can do I'm not talking about donating to charity or curing cancer. I'm talking about on the normal path of life that you travel every day, consciously today, do every good thing that you can do. Say hi to somebody rather than ignoring them. Pick up a piece of trash. Whatever you can do, do every good thing that you can do for the sake of that good thing, not for the sake of being noticed. Don't post it on social media. Yeah, yeah. Do every good thing that you can do. And I think that's what we got to start doing. Yeah, well, that's tremendous, man. I appreciate you giving us that word of encouragement and advice. This seems like a good place to wrap up. 
Seems like it. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've got the answer. I, I didn't know what all we could solve today, but I think the demise of our civilization would be a good good. It's a tough topic point. to resolve in one episode, but yeah. uh, we, we gave it our best shot. So uh, <laughs> let us know your thoughts on it. If your thoughts are, you stupid motherfuckers, we, we, that's not helpful. Um, so you no need to tell us about that because we mostly already know that. And as always, don't forget, your first step in finding your balls is giving us a five-star review, whether we deserve it or not, and tagging the subscribe button. Yeah. We always appreciate that. Greg, it's been a blast. Until next time, if there is a next time. <laughs> there will be. Thanks, brother. All right, buddy. Man Made featuring Jeff Stuckey and Greg Allen. Produced by Speak and Tell Studios in Evansville, Indiana. Executive produced by Eric Smith and Justin Gibbons. Engineered by Eric Smith. You can rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Have questions or comments for Jeff or Greg? Reach out to them at becomingmanmade.com. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.